Hi, welcome to episode 61 of the Therapy Tales podcast with me, Dawn Walton, just being told off, um, and a guest speaker. Hello, I'm Jesse Montague. Am I introducing myself? I guess I'm best known for my dog, Atlas. <laughs> Enough said. And I am Jessica Probst, human dog coach. Very good. Sounds good. I decided who I am. <laughs> Finally. Scary. Have you listened to other podcasts? Because we are um, always having a conversation about my existential crisis. I don't know who I am. I change every day. And this week I'm pretty stressed. There's lots going on. So, our topic today is... What's our topic today? Something about dog trainers. Aggressive, Aggressive dog, dog trainers. trainers. <laughs> Aggressive dog trainers. Aggressive dog trainers. Aggressive dog trainers. <laughs> <laughs> Aggressive dog trainers. <laughs> so, we've had some bother with... Um, the things that we've been doing with Atlas. So Atlas has come in with a history of biting humans mm -hmm. from a young age, and you've had access to a lot of trainers. Yes. Um, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Oh, yes. So along the way um, of our journey, it's been three weeks now, mm. uh, we've been, we've <laughs> been I know, wow. it feels like three years, <laughs> we've been doing um, lots of different things with Atlas. So we've got a very short space of time to prove that he can change and obviously he's up here in Scotland and you don't live in Scotland. Uh, no, not until this last few weeks. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is quite unusual because not a lot of people can afford the time or the money to bring their dog to a residential. So you know, there's one thing working with the rescue where the dog's sent from all over the UK to me. Um, I don't normally um, have to work with the owners when that happens. The rescue trust me because of the experience that I have working with their aggressive dogs. And this is an interesting case for us because Atlas is related to a lot of the dogs that are coming up. Not all of them, but many of them share this lineage. So there's the bias of us thinking that potentially this is an aggressive problem through genetics. And that's a really easy get out for many people to say, well, put my dog down because it's aggressive. The way I see it, and, and hopefully you see it now, is that, that there might be something that enables the dog early to, to behave that way, but certainly we can um, suppress that behaviour and offer alternates for the dog to do. So we often talk about, um, Don and I talk about, there's different versions the dog could choose to do instead. So when he's feeling threatened or provoked, um, he could move away. He could growl. He could do lots of different things. And one of the things that Atlas has learned to do is to bite first, ask questions later. <laughs> Which is really frustrating because what happens with dog bites is you become over time really frightened. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about yeah. your, your phobia that developed? Because I don't think a lot of people realise just how... I didn't realise myself until I met you. Um, I remember the first experience of me actually hitting home. How, how much of a phobia you've developed is that you wouldn't even feed my therapy dogs. Okay, context. There were other dogs around. <laughs> um, yeah, I actually don't think I had quite realised how bad it had got. Um, I think I've been living, well, we've all been living in quite a state of avoidance. Um, I think what I had done is I'd been around dogs, but I felt no need to touch those dogs. So I would kind of go and see my friend and her dogs for walks every week, but there would be no need for me to interact with them. Um, I think the last bite we had put a bit of a sticking point in my brain because it was quite a bad bite and it was Sean that was bitten so I kind of saw it unfold and then all I had was Sean shouting I can't feel my arm um, and I think that was that moment of 
oh my god, this is these are not just bikes. This is something that could could be an issue and could cause quite severe kind of rest of our life. Um, for me, fitness is quite a big thing. So to have an arm or a leg that doesn't work properly was quite scary. Um, and then we actually had someone come and stay with us and. Sean wanted to say hi to their dog, so he was kind of out of the car and bumbling around. Really lovely, really friendly dog. And he was like rubbing himself against me, and I'm like, I actually cannot bring myself to touch this dog. But this is interesting. I hadn't quite realized it had got this bad. Um, but I think I've kind of, my brain has learned that my dog bites, therefore all dogs bite. And actually, I now know my dog quite well. I know when he's going to be weird and when he's going to bite, but I don't know other dogs. Therefore, my brain goes, it is much safer to not touch any dogs because then no dogs can try and bite me. Um, but I think it was only coming up here and being like, okay, there are dogs everywhere and everyone is making me do the scary things I don't want to do. And I was like, okay, this is, yeah, this has become more of a problem than I realized it should be. And so when I first, obviously we spoke on the phone first mm -hmm. because I didn't know, um, I wasn't connecting the dots. I ha had heard of your story uh, or Atlas's story, but I hadn't connected the dots of who you were at that point. Um, you were just an owner to me that was calling about a dog and <laughs> because of the history. So, you know, when we're playing detective as trainers, we're, we're trying to get the history of the dog. We're trying to get the probability of it biting again, which is obviously quite high. Mm. And then the state of what needs to be done. And there was so much that I'd said to you, you know, behavioral euthanasia is absolutely an option. Um, and you said no like we're doing we're, we're working through this and we're doing whatever it takes and there's no kids which is a big one yeah. for me because if there's yeah. kids you know it's, it's so inconsistent so um, you've already done so much with them and obviously done so much training um, which when I went and stalked you on Instagram I realised <laughs> there's there a heck of a lot of work to be put into the dog which I don't normally get I normally get dogs that have had nothing you know there's no obedience there there's no one's put any input in so it was an interesting case but when I had to think about it afterwards, I thought, I don't think that we're going to, this isn't going to be straightforward as in, you know, bring Atlas up here, send him back home and everything's going to be fine. Um, there was probably quite a bit of work to be doing with your anxiety around the whole thing. And obviously you've got a lot of people that are, can I use the word depending on you? Because they are also looking for... You know, they've got problems with their own dogs. I think what's happened is you've become aware of so many people in the same boat mm -hmm. that um, have, have tried trainers or um, have, you know, started to see aggression developing in their dog. And so you're our lifeline for them to say, well, you know, you can do these things. And there has to be an end point. We can't just go, we're doing all these things and still the dog has to be put down. Yeah. You know, what, what do we do? So um, I realised this was quite a, an interesting and unusual situation. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I said to you was, I would like you to speak to Dawn um, about your anxiety. What, were your, what was your first thoughts when you heard that? Um, I think the only reason we've got this far in the journey is because we've been willing to do everything. Um, I had obviously already spoken with Fizzler Welfare. I knew that you were working with lots of very similar dogs. So I think I kind of trusted your thought process in that. Um, I think the fact that you can't touch a dog when you own a dog is probably a bit of a warning sign. So I think everyone, well, everyone that I speak to, not everyone, very often people will reach out to me and they are struggling with their dogs. They're also struggling with their emotions with their dogs. Um, and I think that makes a lot of sense. Like it's really tricky when you've got a dog that bites or a dog that's dog reactive and actually being able to kind of put yourself in those situations where you know that not only do you know that things are not necessarily going to do go well, but you're missing that piece of the puzzle where you don't understand the why. And I think 
the dog bites are even scarier when you don't know why. Um, and I think actually being able to address that human side of things, being able to kind of say, I am very aware that the dog is not acting independently. I hear quite often people will message me and say, oh, it's really interesting. My dog is dog reactive when they're with me, but not when they're with my dog walker. And then so you're kind of going, well, that's really interesting. Obviously, there is a human element there. So actually, if we can address some of this, and, and actually what's really interesting about this is that I've managed to address, and so has my husband, some kind of big childhood trauma. And I kind of thought that the human side of things would be addressing the dog, but actually it's gone way deeper than that. And actually, what a brilliant opportunity to work on yourself as a person with something that's actually helping you and your relationship with your dog so and, and so you didn't realize at the time that your worry about the dog bite was actually just a part of your brain going this is just like that time that happened when I was a kid and um, because you wouldn't would you no. now, now you realize that but you wouldn't because your, your brain went no this is the incident and a, a lot of people working with Don as Don has said time and again um, will pick the the instant they remember the, the most recent one, mm. but the brain's actually gone, no, no, this is something that happened way by way back. And I'm just relating to it because our brains are always pattern matching. So um, you know, my suggestion for the therapy and for working on the anxiety is kind of, because I see there's half the equation, as you said, you know, there's the owner part of it, there's the dog part. And it is hard for, for people coming along to think that way because there's the, the loop, isn't there? Well, the dog wasn't like this and now it is. So I couldn't have created it, but certainly I could be keeping it stuck there. So yeah. they get that bit. Um, how do you, because uh, obviously you've done the trainer weekend workshop and we can get a bit more into that later, but how do you see it now? So, you know, there was me telling you that I would like to work with you if, if you work with Dawn. Mm -hmm. um, but how do you see it now from the human perspective? Because we spoke about, you know, heart rate and, and, and dog perception of mm. that do you have an understanding a bit better now about about how it can impact yeah what yeah. the dog what the dog's picking up from that yeah and i think it is it's really interesting it was really interesting at the trainer weekend kind of watching the dogs being handled by different people and you kind of see someone who is kind of handling their own dog they've obviously got those preconceptions and the dog is kind of going oh yeah we're not sure about this maybe i need to kind of step in here and I can handle this and then dog gets handed off to someone who has no preconceived notions and dog is like, okay, cool, we're chilling, this is fine, this is okay. So right in front of your eyes, you're seeing the dog behave differently with different humans. Yeah, yeah. And actually I think the more that you kind of look into it, like the therapy side of things, the therapy dog side of things, and actually the fact that there are assistance dogs who can pick up on things like heart rate and there's obviously the hormone side of things. like when you go, okay, these dogs are definitely aware of these things. Well, yeah, of course. Like, I literally feel myself. If another dog comes towards us, I feel my whole body go, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. It's okay, like, let's just try and breathe. And the fact that I'm so consciously doing that, well, of course he's picking up on it, and it's definitely not helping. And so I think it's not unlike it's not a quick fix. I've, I mean, it's really been helpful. Being aware of everything. Is exactly, yeah. And I can kind of put a name to it now, and I'm like, okay, well, We'll work on the strategies and we'll kind of keep trying to make the right choices in this. But I think, yeah, knowing that that's what it is, is helpful. I think what's really interesting is lots of people get dogs um, to help with their anxiety, <laughs> right? So they get dogs, um, they're going through difficult parts, they, they're depressed, they have anxiety, and the dog provides that unconditional acceptance that we need in a companion when we're struggling with ourselves and humans are risky. So um, it, it's a really common thing 
to have your dog as a support dog. Um, and in fact, uh, we were talking with Trevor, who's been on one of our podcasts before, and his dog Bo, and he was like, what makes a therapy dog? Because Bo's my therapy dog, mm. you know? He's been, he's allowed Trevor to come out of himself and not feel so insulated and cut off from everybody. There's huge power in that. And so we just see it as kind of a one-way relationship. Mm. My dog's doing this for mm. me. And even more traumatic than, maybe traumatic's not the right word, but if you've got a dog for that purpose and then it stops biting you. Well, then it's got, it's like mega loaded, right? Yeah. It's not just as simple as, my dog's a bit rubbish as a support no. dog. This is, you know, my dog is safe. Yeah. My dog is my companion. My dog gives me unconditional love. And now my dog doesn't love me because mm. it's biting me. Mm -hmm. So now I don't have anybody that's safe or anything that's safe. <laughs> what have I done? This is just how my life always plays out. Yeah. And I ruin everything and my dog's part of that. Yeah. And you don't at any point think, you know, it's a behavior that the dog's doing because we anthropomorphize and attribute mm. all these personality traits and emotional depths to our animals instead of going, okay, my dog reads heart rate. Yeah. My dog um, has maybe been in a position where it feels that it's got a really important job to do be because of its bond with me. Mm. It feels it needs to watch out for me and it's more likely to be on edge. And when I'm on edge, it's going to be extra on edge because it's going, oh no, what's, what's scary, what, what's danger? I need to I need to step up and manage this. But for a human, we're just seeing a dog that's now being aggressive and anxious and lunging and all of that kind of stuff. And also probably a dog with a personality that doesn't necessarily want to be petted all the time. Like that is, Vizslers are sold as Velcro Vizslers. Well, they obviously all didn't get the memo. Like quite a few of them now are seeing more and more. There is that sensory aspect. They are not dogs that want to be stroked all the time. Actually, I find quite a lot of them are quite aloof and actually it goes against what you thought you were getting and then suddenly you're like well this is not what I've got Instagram is telling me that everyone else's Vizsla is lovely and soft and it wants to be petted all the time so I broke the dog <laughs> and that's shit well um, I don't think that he necessarily was broken I think that he was giving out signs like yeah. you've seen recently you know and, and um, Weasel Welfare and myself get videos that now that you know what you're yeah. looking at it does make you very concerned but obviously the general public don't understand that that communication is please don't do that yeah. i think we feel entitled or right somehow that well because we get oxytocin when we touch dogs yeah. but that is our right to touch the dog to get oxytocin even though the dog's going i really i'm not comfortable with this yeah. so learning to read the, the dog's body language has been part of the journey as well um and it's okay for him to say i don't want this right now and it's okay for us to say, okay, don't be so stupid, come and do a reset, and then we'll try again. Um, so we get what we want, but we do it in the, in the way that we're going to get him on site, so it's consensual yeah. rather than force. Which the irony of that, of course, is that many dog trainers will assume, because I'm an e-collar fanatic, that I'm a forced or what do they call them? Compulsion trainer, so the anti-force-free. Anti I don't like to label myself because um, I'm, I'm unusual in the way that I have come from a scientific background. I very much um, want to progress dog training. I don't want to get stuck in, you know, we're still talking about Skinnerian principles, which to me are like you know, decades old now. We know that, that's boring. What's next? You know, what, what, what are we talking about? Hormones? Why are we not talking about, you know, stress and, and what state the dog is in physiologically? And also, I've got the, I've been in the trenches for a long time. I've worked with a lot of people with, um, all sorts of cases so I can see the frustrations from from both sides but I've never I've never aligned myself with any of them which is good for you because you've worked with trainers from different camps along the way 
and we've got a lot of stick in this last few weeks. Have we? From aggressive dog trainers, right? <laughs> so um, yesterday, for example, it was the um, this trainer's never worked with aggressive dogs. Why she got the audacity to take on a dog like this? Which is interesting. Um, <laughs> I feel like that's all I deal with these days. Is, I mean, I've been here two weeks and I don't think I've seen a dog that hasn't previously been aggressive. <laughs> exactly. Although at the same time, you wouldn't know it looking from the no, outside absolutely in. absolutely right? not. And um, I've learned from you that it's unusual, and also the trainers weekend, you know, having trainers from all over the place, mm. that it's unusual um, to have walks the way that I run the walks. Yes. Sadly, because it should be something that's much more common and therefore I think if people had access to that mm. they wouldn't do the whole avoidance. Yeah and I think that comes down to the way in which you manage them because you have got such a brilliant understanding of dogs you are almost seeing things before the rest of us do and I think actually it then makes it this really safe space where the dogs can be off lead and you've already made the call on if one dog needs to be muzzled and if that dog needs to stay on a lead and you're doing all those things in the background Whereas actually, I think people looking in are going, oh, well, they just throw all the dogs together and Absolutely. off they go. Yeah. And well, today was a great example. So we had a new one join us today. Um, Don was on the walk today. Um, we had a new a Romanian collie cross something or other. Um, so she's chased a, a visitor and, and nipped them on the butt. So not huge, not huge you know, worry. But obviously, for her it is, not for me. Um, because I'm dealing with dogs that want to kill me, right? This thing's really friendly. So she's come along and what I'm doing is assessing from the start how the person's walking. So the dog's out front on the end of the lead, choking itself. So immediately my brain goes, right, we need to help that dog because that chemistry at the moment is tension and stress and you let that go and you're adding that to the group. And before I even get a chance to tell her that, the Daxes are surrounding it going, we don't like that energy. That energy is dangerous here. So they've told me, and they're on high alert because I'm stressed, um, they've told me this is not a safe dog, right? So even though she thinks it is, it's not a safe dog. So does, is your dog obedient? Will it sit for you? Yes. Can you ask it to sit? <laughs> does it sit looking at you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's one of the things, right? So let, let me see you ask the dog to do a thing. And the, and the dog takes six repetitions to sit on its bum. Okay, so I'm going, okay, I'm just going to note that, that, you know, it's a little bit... Uh, and when it did, it, it faced away from her and avoided putting the lead back on or... Um, when I put the lead on its head it went no I'm not having this so I'm getting a bit of a, a vibe of its attitude towards life and obviously its attitude towards her and when I handle it it's moving away and I've got to be careful because if I push it too much I might get a reaction I don't want but at the same time I need to learn well, what is its reaction going to be so I'll see subtle signs of aggression where the owner wouldn't even know that I've just learned something mm. um, and I know that if I push that dog too far I'll get a big sign of aggression right because the dog's going, I'm going to move away from you, I'm worried. And I'm going, well, this is, I already know you've bitten, so I'm going to just go, okay, we'll not do that. Today, we're just going to walk and just suss you out. And of course, everyone else is off the lead. We're walking, everyone's chilling out. And then she wants to let her dog off the lead because it's friendly in place. And I said, well, can we walk, can we get the short lead and just have it next to your leg? Um, do you ever walk in the park? Sorry, the, I missed the stage. The dog walks fine in the lead. I've never had it pulling. So it's pulling just now. Is this abnormal for you? Yeah, it's because she's in the park for the dogs. Do you ever walk the dog on lead in the park? No, it's always off lead in the park. So for her, this is a novel situation in the park with a group of dogs on the lead. Which um, is interesting, right? Because we just assume if the dog knows how to walk on a lead, it knows how to walk on a lead everywhere. 
or sit everywhere. And what we do a lot of is we practice all of these things in different situations, not just lead work on the road or on the pavement, not just sitting in the class, but sitting every random place you could think of and walk in the lead every random place you can think of. Not just being off lead in certain situations. And dogs are super good at going, I'll do this here and I'll do this here. So Don, Don calls it kitchen training, <laughs> where the dog's only trained in the kitchen and only listens in the kitchen. Okay. Um, so proofing is where you do these things everywhere. So we let this dog off lead and it doesn't come back. So I ask it immediately, or immediately to let the dog off and, and call it back super, super quick. And the dog goes, ah, I'm gonna play now. Because when it gets off lead, it plays until it's tired and then it comes back. That's not recall. So when I say to somebody, does your dog come back? Has it got recall? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When it's tired and it's saturated with, or satiated rather, with um, play, that's not recall. And I think what hopefully she learned from today was that the dog's um, priority and dopamine release for that dog is play with dogs and not her. And I need it to be from her. So she's seeing things in a different way than I am, but she's not come along to learn about this. She's come along to see how do I get my dog to stop biting people that come to visit, right? Or, or nip the person yesterday. Whereas I see this dog full of adrenaline going home and doing something stupid. And there's no obedience to her. So if she says to leave something, the dog's going to go, why? Yeah. I'm not trained for that. No. So we're looking for the bigger picture and not just the problem. So we're doing this um, um, webinar together on mm -hmm. Tuesday because we've got a lot of owners coming forward just now from your site and obviously watching the story of Atlas. And they're saying the same thing. They've got different questions, but they're saying the same thing. How do I get my relationship improved with my dog? Mm. And they're going to have questions and answers, but the answer really is there's not one answer. Everybody wants me to give them a one-liner of what to do or how to correct or, you know. Easy fix. Yeah, they do. And, and the story is, um, as you've learned, there's so many connecting things. The mental health of the person, the mental health of the dog, the stress response, the, the current stress level of the dog. I had a conversation this week with my vet that's saying that they're seeing Addison's disease um, more and more just now. And the sad thing for me that really, really hurts is that, you know, you can treat Addison's disease with hormones, but the way that the Western medicine is set up and, and our whole system is something's either broken or it's not. Something's healthy or it's not. And actually, there's a reason why the Addison's disease came about. I and mean, there's even a reason why Addison's disease is um, now becoming more pre prevalent. Um, so Addison's disease is basically when your adrenal gland has gone, no, I can't work anymore. So it's called adrenal gland fatigue. And it's come from stress. So it's really hard for us to see that because when we're looking at the dog, we might see um, a happy dog. And actually we're not seeing the stress beneath it. And I'm getting really good now at picking up on the stress response of the dog. And if the dog stays in a stress response for a long time, you have chronic stress, the body goes, I don't like this. I have to compensate for this. And then we get breaking points. And I think this is even more of a reason to think about the human side because that's really hard to accept. It's really hard, and it was for us, it's really hard to go, I am trying my absolute best. I have gone above and beyond. Well, we feel like we've gone above and beyond with Atlas to try and do what's right, but we're still making mistakes. And to actually then go, oh my goodness, have I put my dog into a point of such stress when we go out and run in the hills and we do these lovely things and everything in our life is really set up to, to make him happy and you're still not seeing that picture because 
I think it's almost like dog training is becoming too simplified. It's like, oh, we either just go cookies, cookies, cookies in this camp, or we go correct, correct, correct in this camp. And it's like, well, it's obviously not that simple. And I think obviously you are, you're very aware of the bigger picture. And I think lots of trainers are very aware, but it's that kind of how are you communicating it to the owner? I'm not sure if they are. There's a lot of trainers that have have come out of um, lockdown. So Mm. it was very easy to get online qualifications. And some of them will be fantastic people um, with their hearts in the right place. Many of them have dogs themselves that they have to walk at 3 a.m. You know, we keep talking about this, but if, if a trainer has a dog that they have as reactive it's almost become a, a badge of honor like my dog's reactive and and, and you see them on instagram they, they get sponsored and they need their dog to stay in that state because they're working through this you're one of the rare ones that actually want to get to a point where you're going my dog's cool look, look how far we've come yeah. rather than you know my, my dog's at this issue and i feel i need to have this and, and to be honest to me it relates to their own mental health yeah. um, and there's a lot of people that want their own label you know i i have anxiety is a good one or i have um adhd and so on and these things probably exist but they're symptoms aren't they mm. they're they're, um, they're not a label that we then go that's the end point yeah we should always be looking to go how can we help how can we make it better how can we get the physiology to to, to get to homeostasis so um, what does that look like in a human? What does that look like in a dog? So one of my things that I did over lockdown was I did a, a qualification from Edinburgh University in, in animal welfare. So they're looking at different different uh, areas. We had uh, farm animals, which a lot of money has been put into um, to make sure the farm animals are happy, which sounds really weird on the outside. But when you think about it, a happy animal is going to cost less than the vet bills yeah. and going to produce more meat or eggs or whatever it is, milk. So happy animals are going to be less expensive to keep and produce more of what we need. So there's a lot of money being put into farm animals. Now we've got the domestic animals and we've got wild or feral. And you're comparing uh, cost-benefit, right? So if you're a wild animal, you've got a lot of responsibility to find food for yourself. There's no access to vet care. If you break a leg, you're doomed kind of yeah. thing, do you know? <laughs> especially as a predator. So if we're thinking about wild dogs, for example, and you've got the cost uh, versus benefit and pet dogs. So you might have access to healthcare and free food, but you've not got freedom. So your freedom is hugely restricted. So if you think about 24 hours in a day, how much away from the house and garden have you got? Probably only one or two hours in your average home, if that. Yeah. So your, your life might be uh, mentally and um, physically reduced, emotionally reduced, but you've got these, these other things that are, you know, better, I suppose. Uh, and to be honest, when I looked at the different, different ideas of, of how keeping different animals, for me, the outcome was probably feral would be better. Because at least, for, I mean, for my mind, freedom is probably the most important priority. The understanding that people have got different priorities and staying in a box all day, as in the house, it's perfectly fine. A lot of people over lockdown went, this is great. And um, so then we look at happiness. So for example, happiness in a chicken is being able to scratch. And they produce more eggs if they're able to scratch on, on dust and stuff and have a proper dust bath. And they had a um, maximum of six in a, in a pen. If they had any more than six, their welfare went down. They started eating less. How were they testing happiness in a chicken? Um, well, they tested by how, how much egg that they produce okay. or how quickly they grow and, and how like feathers they lose feathers and mm-hmm. get stressed you know okay so um yeah they would start picking picking at each other or um killing each other things like that so happiness would be the opposite of that where they're like content and their their feathers are all grown and they're healthy looking and they're eating well and they're producing lots of eggs 
um, or, or growing whatever they're bred for, because some of them are bred for meat, of course. So um, they, they've they discovered that there are certain factors that will make the chicken happiest. So if we put that to a dog, dogs don't need dust baths, they don't need perches off the ground, right? But they do have needs that will keep them happy. And what we've come up with in science, isn't me, is play. So playing with conspecifics with each other. <laughs> what happens when these dogs are kept away from other animals? Oh, sorry, other dogs. Um, you know, they're conspecifics, it's the, the same species. So what happens when you keep them away from that? There's some trainers and lots of people that, that think the dogs don't need to be with other dogs. Mm. That is not me. And what happens if you understand that in theory, but you have a dog that every time it sees another dog goes, fuck off. So for me, that the system's out of balance, um, that dog system. So we have to be able to help it. And you know, that is, and I can understand now from the weekend, realizing that there's many people in this country don't have access to the group of dogs that we have. And probably in Dundee, we're, we're really quite dog friendly, you know. Yeah, you definitely um, are. Having lived elsewhere, you Even just unique. walking in the park. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we, are, we are dog friendly. There's a lot of intolerance as well, but generally speaking, people don't freak out when they see their dogs. Um, and there's dogs everywhere, right? Yeah. But so, not rushing you. I would say the amount of in the infrequency in which we've been rushed by dogs who have been present is very unique to anywhere else I've been. So well done, Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, yeah, so, um, and, you know, if I had a dog that for some reason had to be kept away from dogs, I would meet that role for the dog. So I absolutely believe that some dogs don't have to be near. And I'm going to give you examples because I've got a couple of examples that are really rare in all the dogs that I meet. But there's an example of a pit bull that we have come on the walk. So he's an absolute pit bull, a rescue dog with people that um, really do everything like, like yourselves you know they're like no this dog we asked for a friendly dog from the rescue they didn't give us one oh. um but we're gonna do whatever it takes you know and he's fantastic but he wants to kill stuff so it's prey driven rather than defense which is most of the stuff that i work with right and so prey driven is a really difficult one because ideally you want to transfer that to something um like your toy which is fine that but you can't risk that around dogs because he's so powerful so we've got him to the point where he can come on the walks and he's muzzled and he's cool, but he's always given a sort of side eye. He's not kicking off and he's, he's manageable. Mm -hmm. He's never going to be at the level that you've met this week of dogs that are, you know, cool with each other. Yeah. He's always going to be managed, but they've come so far with mm -hmm. this dog. And he, his, his needs of play are met with his owner. So his owner puts a lot of play time in and wrestling, appropriate wrestling, because that's not normally appropriate, but appropriate wrestling where he can ask the dog to, to give and to move, move out of, you know, move away from the toy or do an out or whatever um, and so the needs are being met with play and with sniffing and with free time and running off lead and that's another one that dogs need off lead you know stretch the legs they're all being met so he doesn't need to have dog friends he's, he's totally fine and I think there's a few dogs like that but it's not acceptable to go and he's taken them away he should be able to tolerate there's dogs there yeah. I've just to leave them and do they that pick be up that benefit from just being present and chilling with other dogs? No. No. Um, they've had to teach him alternate behaviours. They've had to teach him obedience, like eye contact and stay and leave and, and so on. So they've um, obviously used rewards for that. So that's your alternate behaviour. And they've also used corrections for don't try and kill that dog. So for him, him just being present with the pack, not necessarily playing with them. Yes, That's it's not been... giving him a dopamine release because it's not his jam. Exactly. He just wants to kill all the dogs. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't think he wants to kill them now. I think that he, well, I, I suppose maybe he does. Um, if you've got the opportunity, he might. Yeah, absolutely. Um, he's muzzled, so he's not going to get that opportunity. Um, 
so yeah, his dopamine would be the the rush and the the bite, absolutely. And I think this is something that's really interesting that you're quite unique in is it's thinking about what is making this dog happy. And I think as humans, that can be quite hard because we're like, well, I love to sit on the sofa and stroke the dog. That's making me really happy. And oh, my dog loves that too. Like, look at him snuggling in here with me. And actually, I think we need to be a bit more kind of aware that there's obviously breed needs and there's obviously individual needs. And that happiness for that dog might Absolutely. not match what your happiness Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So you've just watched this video of someone touching the dog and the dog clearly going, I'm not comfortable. And yeah. the human persists on going, but it's fine, I'm going to touch the dog yeah. because my needs outweigh the dog's needs, yeah. right? Um, so that, that's a hard one for us because obviously we're we're aware that dogs do bite and this one's showing huge amount of tolerance just now. But there's there's a misconnect a miss what's the word disconnect a disconnect thank you a disconnect between the dog's wants and the human's wants at that time yeah. and I think a lot of dogs are under stress a lot of dogs are under stress because the human needs come first and the dog's needs come second yeah and almost not to the point that they're even consciously aware of it it's just like well this is my buddy he's my pal so we love the same things and yeah it's hard to it's then very hard to accept that as an owner that you've been putting something on them that they don't necessarily love. Absolutely. So there's many layers to this and so one of the, the things is of course pain and one of the first things that we're taught in behaviour is to make sure that the dog is healthy enough mm. to be going under behavioural um, therapy because you're changing how the dog perceives the world. Yeah. And we don't want to be just suppressing something because we need to change the dogs. Again, that's our needs rather than the dogs. So um, I, I learned to do my first year into my three-year degree in Shiatsu, um, a lot of anatomy, physiology, and knowing which, which muscles to touch where and what's connected to what. Um, and obviously you've met Liz now, so she's my, my teacher and mentor. I'm pretty good at, at looking at gates. I'm pretty good at... Um, finding out if the dog's able to stretch in a certain way. Yeah. Um, so I know you've had a lot of harassment for him being lame or Atlas um, not jumping into the car properly and so on. And that's one of the first things I did was, you know, how is he moving? Yeah. Well, um, and, and a full vet check before we even got here. Yeah, and then by my vet. And actually my vet, when he was neutered a few days ago, um, said to me, that's not the same dog. <laughs> and I said, <laughs> no, no, it is the same dog. Yeah, yeah so uh, not just the shiatsu. I think that his... Um, I think his, ha his happiness is, is, we're talking about hormones, mm -hmm. dopamine and cortisol, um, that, that's changed. Um, so I've been speaking about endorphins with you this week and how we can get endorphins out. I think living in the pack takes a lot of pressure off the dog um, because they help themselves you know, realise what's going on. And here's a really simple example. So he's gone through, Atlas has gone through some humpy stage and it's really, <laughs> <What>? <laughs> it's really common. Um, and we haven't, haven't really managed to speak to any other human on the planet who's, who's seeing this. I'm sure there'll be somebody somewhere. But when a dog comes into me after the first week and when they go through their kind of, what's, what the heck's happening here? And then they go, okay, life is okay. And then they go, oh, play, I can play. And then they go, oh, mm, I need pump stuff. I can play. Oh. <laughs> so I've got theories on that. Um, but my theories, you know, the practical theories are, well, they want to find out where they sit in the rank and they're constantly going, right, well, well who am I? Um, but also the underlying chemistry of that is going to be, um, you know, hormones are suppressed when, the, when an animal is uh, undergoing high levels of cortisol or adrenaline. Um, so we go through a, st a stress stage. And when we come out of that stress stage, you have systems that turn back on again. So Don talks about survival mode, uh, suppressing um, the important parts of life. So you don't want to, if you're being chased by a saber-toothed tiger, you're not going to think about reproduction. 
And when you come out of that, post-stress, you start, your body starts to go, right, we can think about breeding again. So we have this mass amount of um, hormones coming out which cause the, the humpy-bumpy behaviour. <laughs> and so, of course, I'm helping him to say that's not appropriate. But the dogs do as well. Yeah. So my dogs, Tristan got off the couch last night and went over to, to him. the policeman. Yeah, he's policing and he's going, don't do that here. And Atlas is like, all right, okay. So the dogs all help each other. There's a hundred examples I can give you in a day where um, you've got the dogs interacting with each other and you know correcting or allowing or you know so they're they're learning constantly and and putting pressures and suppressing and encouraging behaviors so i think the pack is vital i don't think i could do the same work if i didn't have the pack that knew how to do this so um i think that what happens here isn't necessarily that that you know i'm the best trainer i think what happens is i'm i'm allowing um the setup for the human to go look how much learning you've got to do work with dawn and then throw the dog into the pack and the dog goes right what happens here this is new and the dog system comes back online to to get out of stress stage and then we go let's go and provoke this aggression let's see what happens when we do this in a really subtle way so he's going well, i'm supposed to do this old behavior and i say well what if we do this and he goes oh that's better yeah and i feel happier yeah so i don't feel like i should do that thing anymore and we keep doing that so we're not doing avoidance and one of the things i'd like to speak to you today about is um we speak about avoidance because a lot of so when when i first told you i was a behaviorist you balked at that because uh, i mean yeah I, so <laughs> to give some context we the first trainer we found was a behaviorist and we did not have a good experience so you didn't do any physical training with that person it was online it was all online it was middle of lockdown yeah so that was kind of like a well this makes sense that it's all online because this is all we kind of can do at this point but yep. to the point that she spoke to us on Zoom. At no point did she say, can you send me a video of the dog? Can we even have the dog in the camera right now? Like My dog could have literally been any dog and she would have known no different. But all I kept getting was the same lines. Just give it more time. We just need more time. This is all normal behavior. Now you're only looking back like it is absolutely not normal that your puppy is clamping down on your arm and like ragging it like a toy. Like That is the point where you should be going, this is not normal. It's okay. Either I can refer you to someone else because I can't handle this anymore or I'm actually qualified enough to Well, I suppose <laughs> in our defense and, and many of the papers reports that I get, from these dogs so, so I'm, I'm always the last one right when they hand them into rescue they've tried <laughs> yeah. they've tried trainers and behavior so I get the reports that have been written okay. and it is very disheartening because most of the reports are you know close the windows and doors put yeah. opaque sheets on the window the dogs can't see out walk at 3am do all the avoidance mm. tactics interestingly she never actually wrote a report for us oh you should have got a report you can ask her for one now. <laughs> so, so um, and and a part of this, so this is the defense of, of the behaviorist, right? Because um, hopefully the behaviorists listening that are going to be um, going, well, hang on, this is what we're supposed to do. Um, part of what we're supposed to do is talk about management. So we need short-term management of making sure these behaviors don't happen again yeah. with the long-term goal of the change. Yeah. So that's what we're looking for. So it's okay to say, if the dog's stressed, let's remove it from the stress. It's not okay to say, let's never stress it again. Yeah. That's really different. And I think a lot of people, and probably people listening, will have been told that. And that the bigger idea is to... Um, the change that we have to add the stress in but we get the dog to a place where we can teach it otherwise it's just going to be too stressed to learn if it's in that you know and that's where medication can be helpful 
It can be, yeah, in, in chronic stress. And it's difficult with a young dog, and it's also difficult with... Um, like you say, that this person never saw your dog. So when I'm meeting a dog, I'm assessing its natural rank, mm-hmm. which nobody ever speaks about. When did you ever speak, hear a trainer speaking about rank mm-hmm. and what the human rank has been? So what you gave it and what it naturally is. And I suppose that's why your pack is very unique because it's showing you that quite quickly. Yes, yes. Um, so do you know what Atlas is? So you can imagine what it was, sorry. What it was? Oh, yeah, he was top of the pack. To you, so <laughs> you created that. Yes. But he's naturally not a high-ranking no, dog, not. which and is I think where the stress is. the conflict, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So if you've got a high-ranking dog, which of course is not going to be as common because not everybody can be a leader. Yeah. So you're going to have more sheep than you are leaders, yeah. right? Um, and humans too. And a natural leader is going to have um, a natural air of confidence. And I think a lot of insecurities are taken as dominant behaviours. Yeah. Which actually they're not at yeah. all. So we don't really, I don't really come across naturally um, dominant leader type dogs very often. Most mm-hmm. of them are insecures that have been given that mm-hmm. role. That makes sense. So how does your average person combat that in a one or two dog household if they don't have access to Jess and her wonderful pack of very balanced dogs? <laughs> Other than moving to Dundee. <laughs> get everyone to move to Dundee. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. Um, so the, the first part of that is being aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and having someone assess the dog that, that can, and you can, you can do it from a video, you can do it from interactions, you can do it with interactions with, I've done it, you know, when I'm asking someone to do certain behaviours with the dog. So, you know, you've become very acutely aware this week mm-hmm. with, um, we had a Vizsla Rama last Friday, right? <laughs> and we've got lots of Vizslas doing the same behaviour of, when the person asks them to do a behaviour, the dog curves away or it faces the opposite direction. Yes, but... And that was normal to you. That was, that was how the dog does it, right? Yeah. Or half a sit. Do you remember that? I think because you're in your head, you're like, well, he's done the thing. He's but you're the not thing. then thinking about the layers of the exactly, thing. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, your, your novice owner is going to go, well, that's the behavior he's just done. Yeah. Even though he's not facing me, it's really, really quite rude. Um, and he's going, well, I have to do this, so I'll do it. Rather than what we've got now with Atlas is I really want to do this. Uh-huh. You know, I'd, I'd, you know, you're making it his idea rather yeah. than making it a thing that happens yeah. to him. Power yeah. of choice. Yeah, so we come back to that a lot with Don, don't we? That it's, it is choice. And then some um, subtle programming along the way. So he's now at a place where we've done lots of reinforcing of other behaviours. Like we're happy for him to growl or to move away rather than just do a bite. Yeah. Um, and then he's trusting us that we're actually listening to that. So he's going to give more of it because he's going, okay, so I have a choice in this matter. This isn't a thing that's just going to happen and I have to fight for myself. And I think it's really important to highlight kind of what that actually looks like. Um, so when he first came to you, the minute you touched him, he went, no, nah, I'm going to bite you now. So his instant reaction was, and he had a muzzle on, so he, he didn't, but the minute you touched his collar, he went, bite. And the minute that Atlas is not happy in a situation, we know he's going to go by. That is something that, and hence the avoidance and hence the hiding away. So the way that I see it mm. is like, if we if we think about a ladder, I like the ladder analogy where he was bottom of the ladder. Yeah. So we have a choice of fight, flight, freeze at each rung of the ladder. But as we've got the ladder and we've got more endorphins and less stress hormones, yeah. he's going to make more thinky choices rather mm-hmm. than shit, 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 I've got no choice. Yeah. So non-thinking choices. Yeah. So he was bottom of the ladder, scared for his life, mm-hmm. fighting for his life. Even though there I wasn't a real. Is, yeah. Yeah, that's the same thing as you, right? So you weren't really in danger. 
see the parallel here. I love it, right? You weren't really in danger from the therapy dogs the first walk that you did, yeah, I was but not. you were in were survival, right? <laughs> yeah, so he wasn't in danger in my house, yeah. but he thought he was, yeah. right? I think also what's interesting is that I think if people hear, oh, he's in, he thinks he's in danger, he's terrified, you think this, like, quivering in the corner dog, it doesn't yes. have to no, look like that. This is the dog not. that can have a lovely time with us. He's yeah. happy, he's running around in the hills. I think it's being able to understand that in certain situations and yeah. what we want to do with him is to teach him that you can actually think the same way in all situations yeah. so that you have that consistency yeah. and not just the oh shit he's gone into that stage he's not sure what's going to happen and and so if we bring it back to you again on the walk the very first walk that you know there was you were physically and actually went to Starbucks afterwards and I have a very clear memory of you sitting with your knees scrunched up and you wanted to be as small embryonic <laughs> position as possible right you were absolutely in survival I was a broken human being right and that doesn't mean that you didn't go home later and laugh of a laugh with your husband that doesn't <laughs> yeah. ma- you know it just that these these things made you do that mm. it probably won't now because you're better equipped yeah do you see what I mean you, you're not likely to go back to that stage mm. Whereas, and same with him, he's not likely to go back to that as an atlas. Um, and so in that situation where I said to you, feed the therapy dog, and you went, I'd rather run away, your response <laughs> is to, to fight, right? Yeah. Whereas Atlas's is to fight. Yeah, or was. It was. Because that's what's really interesting, right? Is we're, what, three weeks down the line? And what we're now seeing is yesterday, because he's been neutered, he has, he can't jump into the van at the minute. So yesterday he let me scoop him with his muzzle on because that's how I feel safe. And I know that without his muzzle on, my body is going to be doing all the things of like, oh, it's going to bite me, which isn't helpful. So muzzled on, we went scoop and he went, okay, this is fine. This is cool. Not even a growl. Um, he has started to growl in some situations and it's amazing, amazing to us that he is choosing that. Okay, I'm gonna let you know, we're communicating. And the fact that that has been built in, I think a lot of what we're seeing in dog training now is we'll correct it, we'll correct it when he's bit, which we were doing. Um, and I do think it has its time and its place with, with some aggression. We kind of have got rid of like that low line, like I'm just being a dick here, like, I'm gonna guard this, I'm gonna guard that. But actually building in that choice is something that we don't really see too many dog trainers talking about, the fact that you can modify the behavior and teach an alternative behavior. And then the more that you reinforce that, the more that that becomes the norm. I think that was the big thing. That takes time. And I do think that this is, you know, that's why I'm trying to be in defensive behaviorists. There's not enough time because the first thing you've got to do as a behaviorist is do do your detective work. So... What's the history? Where have we got to? What are you doing now? What's your daily What's your daily routine? All of these things. You're doing that in your first session. You can't really give a lot of advice other than um, manage and avoid at that moment in yeah. time. And how much? How many hours have we spent together this last yeah, three weeks? Right. So you've, you've now got an understanding <laughs> of the behaviourist brain and then how we change yes. that over time. And I've had a lot of time with him, whereas your average person. You know, before I mean, David Eads has been phenomenal in helping you with the training side, Absolutely. and he and also the um, counting conditioning with doing his nails yeah. and all of that. You know, there's layers. That and you've actually, got in there. if Atlas was a dog that didn't have this complex, weird sensory issue, David would we'd be plain and sailing. Yeah, we'd Absolutely be laughing. Love and life. Yeah. yeah, and it is just that there's that little bit of brain with Atlas that's just a bit wonky, and we're seeing it in the other visitors. And it is just that it's understanding that. For a lot of dogs, that would be absolutely right, but it is, it's that unpicking the puzzle. And, and you've had so many experiences, I mean, you could really write a book on the last three weeks, right? So this, this weekend, <laughs> you met a six-month-old, seven-month-old, uh, Vizsla. Yes. And so he's not got the, the fear-defensive 
that Atlas has. No. He's got the, I don't want to do yeah, that, Tessa. I'm going to nail yeah. you, yeah. right? Yeah. Unfortunately, Jess got bitten. Jess, Jessica, yeah. that's me. Not me. <laughs> I got a free path on that one. I got bitten. And, and fantastic way to show everybody as well that, you know, the dog was overexposed, tired, all this. But he didn't have to behave like that, did he? This, this young puppy... Certainly didn't, not the second time. <laughs> he, he didn't just bite. He went, I am not going to stop biting. Yeah. Even when I took my hands away, he's coming back at me. Yeah. You know, we've got video of this where he's just like, yeah, right. And that's not defensive. That was absolutely, I'm doing this. You push that button. Um, and the problem with him is it's not replicable because we've been putting the slip lead on and off and he's all right with it. And then, you know, he's, he's bitten the foster again randomly because you just went, actually, I don't want this on today. So it's not happening every single time. Yeah. So, you know, the advice at the moment is do loads of positive reinforcement around the slip leads that he goes, oh, this is fun. I'm going to, so his, his pathway yeah. is looking forward to that. Yeah. But at the same time, if he ever rears that ugly head again, to absolutely squish it and say yeah. we can't behave like that at this young age. But he doesn't have the extra layer that Atlas has of that fear and that um, going into himself, you know, not comfortable, don't touch me, which is... And you, you recognise it now, but you didn't when he was growing up and, and younger because... And whatever, for whatever reason that came about, you know, probably puberty. I think that my yeah, current theory at the moment be. seems to be when puberty hits, yeah. we're all boys that are, yeah. that are doing this. Yeah. The girls tend to be more aggressive. The ones that come along tend to be more aggressive outward to other dogs or people. Yeah. And then what's males, much rarer. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and the males that come in all seem to be owner aggressive, which is mm. big differences there. Mm. So, yeah, that there's um, lots of layers, lots of things to be done. Um, and also recognising, that's what's happened with you, is that you've recognised that he is an oddball, um, he does require management, but actually as well as that, we can have a really nice life with him yeah. now that he's communicating mm. and you're able to listen. And I think it's, like, it comes down to this curiosity, right? And I think that's what's missing in a lot of the trainers that we've obviously seen. There's, there's been loads of trainers who have been following along. We've obviously been quite public in sharing. And I think I'm starting to see a real stark awareness of the decent trainers because of the way they choose to be so they might not actually be along the path as much they might not have that year of years and years of experience but they're willing to go interesting tell me more about that whereas actually on the other end of the spectrum you've got your <laughs> aggressive dog trainers who have gone this is different from what I do therefore it must be wrong therefore I'm shutting my eyes I'm shouting into the universe and I don't want to learn from this even if there was something valuable I could have taken. And I think we have seen with Atlas, there are so many pieces to the puzzle. There are so many things to consider. Why would you shut yourself off from that? Why would you go, well, I've got a preconceived notion about one dog I worked with ever, or I owned a Vizsla, therefore this Vizsla couldn't possibly do that. And that is the bit where I'm like, the dog training world needs to change because if you're not willing to learn in what like in what profession do you go oh, I'm instantly an expert I've worked with some dogs I don't want to look into anything further it's hard and and I think the more time goes on the more I realize that there are not a lot of trainers that are living with these dogs because mm. it's one thing helping an owner I learned it in black and white and I'm going to tell you how to do it mm. but when you live with them that's a different level yeah and when you live with a lot of them from the same breed and <laughs> there's there's things i mean in this week how many vizlas have you met yeah so many <laughs> so so many right and they're not all the same as atlas some of them have been 
you know, we've got a couple of examples of very similar to Atlas to begin with. Yeah. And now that you've seen that the, and I'm not saying that neutering is the answer, but it's one of the puzzle pieces for these, yeah. these dogs. And it's so controversial. I didn't even realize how controversial. It's controversial <laughs> with our vets. Um, my vet's a country vet, so they're, they're pretty cool. Um, and, you know, for people that are struggling with the neutering thing, that there is, um, new signs come out in the last couple of years that's suggesting that for large breeds and sadly it's been taken to mean all breeds mm. for large breeds we can have complications with growth and um, you know physical issues if we neuter them before they're skeletally grown yeah um, and and the amount of people that don't think that testosterone affects behavior is mind-blowing to me there's different types of testosterone um, and the testosterone that comes out when the gonads develop is um, absolutely related to behavior. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the changes that we have in human males. And, yeah. <laughs> and people messaging saying, my dog's hit adolescence and now it's biting me. Yeah, and, and violence. So we, when we work with um, the prison, we, we're well aware that female prisoners behave, or, or people that have, women that have been... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I have no idea. Okay. <laughs> Women that are in prison. Um, so they've done... Incarcerated? <laughs> Women that are in prison have got a different reason than men. So women tend to act uh, emotionally in the moment. They don't tend to do preconceived behaviours, whereas testosterone definitely has an effect on um, violent tendencies. Um, you know, yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of evidence to this. Mm. So absolutely not saying that neutering is what people should do with their dogs and I wouldn't have neutered Atlas three weeks ago yeah but we got him to a point where he was stable and consistent mm -hmm. is the good word to go now is the time to do it and he is too which means that he's he is. fully grown yeah it'll also help him with his weight I think as well so um you got anything to add to this, Dawn? You're being so quiet. Oh, poor Dawn. <laughs> so how about the behaviour of the trainers online and, and people's um, general... I'm pointing at Jess to say, give me the microphone. <laughs> There's only two microphones. <laughs> Jess and Jessie have them. Um, and we have a few minutes left. Um, so I think the overall thing as we go through this is, I think you work with the ecosystem. So you look at all elements and all um, dimensions and I think one of the things that's easily overlooked is that you don't, if you work with somebody and then they go away and carry on the work, you don't get to see the whole ecosystem. So one of the conversations we've been having about the therapy journey is exactly this. How do I support my clients when I speak to them for an hour, an hour and a half and then the whole life changes over the next two weeks? And then I speak to them again for another hour, hour and a half, and then the whole life changes again for the next six months. You know, how do you support somebody with that kind of thing? And it's really hard because I don't get to see the whole ecosystem. I don't get to know the whole story beforehand. I don't get to know which areas of their life they've never mentioned anything about to me that have now been affected until somebody goes, oh, this has changed. Is that normal? You know, and, and like you, I have lots of experience with lots of clients, so I can know patterns and know generally what I can prime my clients to expect, but I still can't ever know until I get hands-on and do stuff what's happening. So I think it's interesting with, with Jesse is that, um, you know, I've, I've got a client walking alongside me from the point of the first session to three weeks later, right? I've never had that with a client before. Um, in that same sense. So it's it's an interesting experience for me to look at that. And I think the word that we have had as a theme this year has been entitled. 
because everybody seems to feel very entitled to offer their opinion and their experience and to be offering it in a way where we don't think about the impact on the person that we're offering it to. So you see something and you go, my opinion's valid. So is my ability to express my opinion, irrespective of the impact it'll have on the person. And I'm going to do it having seen what I call the the movie highlight reel, right? So, you know, you get a, like a, a trailer for a movie and it looks just like the most amazing movie and you go and see it expecting this brilliant movie and realize that the only good bit about the movie was the bit that was in the trailer. The rest of it's really rubbish. And, and that's what social media is like. You're just seeing a highlight reel. But you think that's enough information for you to judge somebody and because of the entitled thing, you think it's within your right to educate that person of all the things that they've missed, because they're obviously stupid and they didn't see all this stuff, and all the things that they should do differently without thinking about the whole ecosystem. So I think one of the unique things about the way you work is you take on the ecosystem. You take the dog into your home with your pack of dogs, you take it on the walks, you work with the owner and regard the owner as part of the ecosystem and look at every single element. And so, yes, there might be some things that you commonly do, but only because your experience tells you that in an ecosystem, it's these things that cause the problem. Um, and so somebody might pick up on one of those things because that's their area of expertise and go, you don't, you're not deep diving enough into that. And well, maybe you're not because actually that's just one piece of the puzzle. And you and I are always talking about pieces of the puzzle, right? And all the different pieces of the puzzle we have to think about. So I think it's a, it's a really interesting thing to look at the whole ecosystem when you look at anything and when we're judging and when we're feeling entitled and we feel that it's perfectly okay to make somebody feel terrible about every single little thing that they're doing then maybe we need to think about what would happen if we had to do that and bring them into our ecosystem and change our whole lives to work with it and what we might see differently even if it was a case of we just went all right okay maybe I shouldn't have been that direct to somebody who's actually trying the best that they possibly can because we're all human and at the end of the day, if you say to somebody, hey, the problem with that dog is X, or the problem with that person is X, you shouldn't have done that, you shouldn't have worked with that person, you're causing damage, anybody who's remotely switched on will go, huh, wonder if they have a point. You have to, you have to, because otherwise you're just like a sociopath or something, right? If you go, no, you can't possibly write. So you have to kind of go, hmm, maybe they have a point. Am I doing something wrong? And you, you do that check. Now imagine that you're getting hundreds of comments all day, every day, saying you're doing that wrong, you're doing that wrong. And you're every single time having to go, okay, I'm not going to be egotistical. I'm just going to go, huh, do they have a point? That's exhausting, yes. And, and Jesse knows and you know from your experiences over the past couple of weeks, so... I guess as we as we run out of time and not to go on like the tirade, I would just say it's more than being kind. It's just like, think of the whole ecosystem. You have a movie highlight reel. That's all you have. You just have a snapshot. You don't know anything about it. So if you do have an opinion, that's fine. Offer your opinion, but recognize that you're offering your opinion. Not fact, not truth, just an opinion. And that if that person goes, thanks, but I'm okay, that's okay too, because you are not a god and you don't control what everybody does. Any more thoughts from anybody else, or are we good to end on I that? I would say that's a mic drop. <laughs>